With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. There's that snappy music that I have no idea what the name of it is, but it, it gets this show going every time we do a show. So, hey, everyone, this is Michael Vandervoort. This is Drive Through HR. It is Thursday, 11-11. There's something about that day. I'm not sure what it is, but there's some, some significance to 11-11 besides the numbers. Uh, but we're not going to focus on that today. We're going to talk about people analytics and data and how businesses and HR practitioners can use data to hopefully do some planning and risk mitigation against different kinds of business activity. And in order to help us learn about that, I'd like to welcome Fiona Jameson to the show. Fiona, welcome to Drive Through. How are you? I'm good. It's good to be here. Good to have you back. You were a guest a, a while back, and we mm-hmm. I forget what, exactly what we talked about, but uh, I've known Fiona through some professional organizations that we're mutually members of for a number of years. and. Fiona runs a company called Spring International, which she's the CEO of, and they do a lot of work with surveys and engagement and, and all kinds of data analysis. So she's a, she's a true people analytics nerd and spends a lot of time talking at conferences and stuff, and especially this year, she's been real active. So, But that's my take on you, Fiona. Why don't you go ahead for our listeners and introduce yourself and tell them about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Mike, and, and you pretty much nailed it. I think first and foremost, um, I'm a bit of a data geek, but <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm currently the CEO of Spring International. We're a research and people analytics company based in Philadelphia. Um, my background is in HR, IO, psychology, and business. Um, and as you can tell, it's not a Philly accent that you're hearing. I'm from the, the UK originally. Mm-hmm. Desperate to get back there and hoping to get that back there before the end of the year. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about helping companies to understand their organizations from their employees' point of view, and we use data to do it. So yeah, I'm excited to, to geek out a little bit with you today. Yeah, so, and I forgot, actually, I've, I've actually forgotten the title of the article. We, I, I saw an article that was um, put out somewhere last week that talked about why companies should be using their people data to track and uh, respond to to issues like potential union organizing. Um, And it was, and there were a couple of uh, people that we know who were quoted in the stories, which happens quite a bit, but it was just a little different than your usual labor relations article and I thought the topic was intriguing. So I wanted to, I didn't want to focus on that article per se, but I did want to focus a little bit on this idea of using data to sort of do risk planning and mitigation. So for, I guess for the first question I would ask you, Fiona, is like for, the, for those of us like me who hate data, uh, unlike you, who hate data and, you know, only, only think about math when we have to, um, what, does, what does an HR practitioner, like a typical HR practitioner, what kind of data do they 
have at, at their fingertips. And then we'll talk about maybe some other stuff that might be a little more sophisticated. Give us an example of people data that people use every day in HR. Yeah, so great question. So people data in my mind is any data that capture, captures an aspect of the human experience at work, right? So it's everything from your employee survey data, training data, hiring, turnover, even market labor data. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what's most commonly used, I think, by HR business partners and, and folks who are in that HR function. Uh, beyond that, a lot of companies are, are focusing on people analytics, which is using that data right, to actually inform higher quality people and business decisions. Right? So they're using that people data to answer more critical business decisions. Um, and I think it's those decisions, like maybe the, the desire to stay union-free, as sort of stated in that article you're referring to, but other questions as well that they have as a business, like how do we attract the right people? Um, how do we keep right. the top talent that we have? Those are the kinds of questions that HR is looking to answer using this data. Um, so, so like, how how does? I, I just want to make sure there was a weird sound. You're still there, right? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I was I had a, a moment of hesitation that we had been disconnected. So, thank goodness that didn't happen. So. So going back to the question, so so Fiona, like again, if you're if you're just a daily HR practitioner, and I don't mean I, there are a lot of people who are wizards with data, and all, I, I have plenty of colleagues who crunch stuff all day long, and I and I like to admit, but 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 for real, like in like in today's environment, right, of of you know high turnover and hard to attract talent, and people are leaving for all kinds of different reasons. How, how does an HR practitioner use data to get their arms around? those kind of problems? Because it, it seems to me that there's probably tools there they could leverage. But, it, but if you're not a, you know, intuitive data user, how, how do you kind of get yourself set up to do that? So, so most organizations today have um, fairly sophisticated HRIS systems, right? A, a database that captures all of their hiring data, like how many people they have, in what roles they're in, at what level, how long they've been with the organization. Um, that data can tell you an awful lot about who you have today um, and, you know, and what some of their key um, sort of activities have been, right, in terms of promotions and how long it's taken people to be promoted. And then there's other data that you probably have in the system, like absenteeism or scheduling. A lot of companies today are facing staffing capacity issues, like, um, you know, people having call-outs, right? They're not showing up mm-hmm. for you know, the usage of overtime, things like that can help you to determine, like, how are we correctly staffed as an organization given the demand that we have, whether it's a demand for product, demand for service. Like, there's a lot of data that is housed in HR that can help you answer those questions. And so we typically recommend the first thing you do as an HR business partner is say, what is the question I'm trying to answer, right? What is the business challenge? And if it's you know, how do I keep my top talent, then you want to first look at that data and start saying, well, who do I have, in what roles, at what levels, and what are their pay rates, and how does that compare to market rates, right? So based on the question you're trying to answer, you may look at different kinds of data that you have within the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Um, I know that, um, you know, not everybody has the resources, the size, the capability 
But I, I know that, especially in Fortune 500 companies, people analytics specialists have become a, a, a highly growing role. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then, of course, you guys, as a, as a consulting business, you guys work with clients as well. So um, before we get into sort of like how some other uses for this data, uh, you know, in terms of planning and stuff, can you just comment on how a practitioner, I'm trying to just give some like general thoughts for people looking for these kind of solutions, I guess. How, how would you, how do you, if you wanted to add the resources, whether you buy it or, you know, put it, build it in-house, right, hire it in-house, what, what kind of background would you look for, Fiona? How would a, somebody who needs this but is, hasn't done it, used the service before, how do they, how do they identify talent that way? Yeah, so a typical sort of people analytics team would have a combination of people in it. You're going to have someone who has a background in sort of like database IT, someone who can pull data together, right? That's sort of Mm -hmm. your data scientist. Then you're going to want someone who's maybe like an IO psychologist, someone who understands how to measure things, how to ask the right questions, how to design an engagement survey, for example. Um, You may want someone who's really comfortable with statistics, right? Someone who likes doing the math, likes playing with the algorithms, likes Mm -hmm. running the analysis. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's a, a... a fourth role that is really powerful, and that's typically the HR business partner, who is what we call <laughs> that purple unicorn, the person who can understand the analysis and interpret that into the business decisions. So it's someone who can take a look at you know, the data that's been pulled by your data scientist, that's been analyzed by your statistician, that's been interpreted by your psychologist, and you can convert that into your answer to the business question and be able to communicate those results to, to transmit that to action because you can do all the analysis in the world, but if you don't take action on it, it there's no point, right? The same, I feel the same way about employee surveys. Don't ask if you're not going to act on it. Um, and, yes. and I think yes. employee engagement is one of those things that companies have been sort of doing every year as a function of, you know, kind of we feel like we should. And the biggest mistake companies make is not acting on that data and not leveraging it to answer some of those critical business questions that we have, especially today with this sort of labor market the way it is. Yeah, I, you know, I, I have this uh, kind of recently, it, I, it's, it's not a recently formed opinion, but I feel like the, the, the urgency behind what I'm about to say grows bigger every day. And that mm-hmm. is exactly what you said. If you have these kind of surveys and you have data whether it's simply numbers or, or numbers coupled up with, you know, comment, comments and, and sort of uh, anecdotal information about how people are feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and you've been hearing, you've been told this stuff, and, and it's especially worse if you've been told this stuff like over a period of time, right? And especially repeatedly, <clears throat> which I think is a mistake that a lot of companies allow themselves to make because, you know, it's just, it's hard to turn some things around sometimes, you know, or hard to put the resources, you know, in place to really focus on it. And especially in today's highly churn-driven environment with all the issues that we have in front of us. But I think it's more imperative than ever that when you identify these kind of things that may be causing people to leave your organization or, mm-hmm. you know, not want to come to work for you. It's even more imperative today than it was even last year to get out yeah. in front of that stuff and get it fixed as soon as possible. So, yeah. you know, this is, this is, go ahead, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, exactly, the, the most cost-efficient way for you to retain your talent and attract new talent is to listen to employees, right? And using these employee feedback tools is the, the, the cheapest and the most efficient way of doing it. 
Right? We've been listening to employees for the last 30 years. And what we know from our research mm-hmm. is that the reasons why employees seek to unionize or the reasons why they leave for employers are pretty clear, right? And they're pretty consistent. And it's usually one of three reasons. They feel disrespected or mistreated, usually by a manager. They feel they don't have a voice. They feel unseen or unheard. Or they feel undervalued mm-hmm. or not recognized, right? And these mm-hmm. are things that you about. If you're asking the right questions, they will tell you about in their survey. And you'll be able to say, we've got a group of people here in this small department who feel they don't have a voice. Or we've got employees over here who feel like their manager is not a good people manager. That's stuff that you can proactively go and fix and make sure these employees are having a good day-to-day experience, right? That's, it's very, it's much better to do that proactively than wait until they leave or wait until they reach out to a third party. Um, and a lot more right. expensive, right, than <laughs> hiring a lawyer to fight your union campaign. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, these days union campaigns, you know, the ones that are being run that, you know, Amazon had one earlier this year that was in the multi-million dollars. Starbucks has one in Buffalo that's millions of dollars. You know, I mean, it's, these are not, these are, you know, business disrupting, disrupting events that, you know, really mm-hmm. cause a lot of issues and cost a lot of money. Um, I had a, just one follow-up question. You talked about undervalued or not recognized. Is that pay or is that lack of – undervalued is that lack of appreciation or is it both? So it depends on what question you're answering. If you're asking about, um, you know, whether it's likelihood to, to reach out to a third party, it's usually about feeling undervalued in the sense that um, – you don't recognize what I do. Like I'm putting in all this time and effort and you don't say thank you, right? It's about that traditional recognition. When there's frustration mm-hmm. with paying benefits, it's usually more likely to lead to turnover. People are going to say, I can get more money okay. elsewhere. I can get more flexibility okay. elsewhere. When it's a, so paying benefits is usually a predictor of turnover more than it is of, of vulnerability to sort of involvement with a third party. So, to, or, to organizing, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, same thing with so it's, it, I, that's that's kind of my general rule of thumb that that I've you know I guess just experientially observed, which is that, it, that people think a lot of times that people look for a union because they they need more money or they need better benefits. It's usually the intangible stuff mm-hmm. that you've mentioned: recognition, fair treatment, opportunity to have some input into how your work life is set up and designed and those kind of things, those, those things that are, you know, they're, they're, they seem secondary to money, but they're really perhaps even more important. Um, so so I think that gets us kind of into this, some of the other questions that I had sent over earlier that, that, we, that we had said we were going to talk about. So, so obviously we've just had a conversation about some ways where people can try to predict things, business events, or potential upcoming trends that might show that you have problems on the horizon, like union organizing. Um, you know, a lot of companies talk about having, like, heat maps and different things, or, you know, if there's bad uh, bad scores on an on a, on a annual survey and that kind of thing, they, they look at that. But how do people approach this in today's environment, tools we have available, and, you know, in a people analytics universe, how do you approach that kind of uh, an idea, Fiona, about trying to identify things like potential union organizing? And I don't think you can, you know, have a, a combination of numbers and factors and, and the score adds up to 12 and that's a bad number, right? It, it doesn't work that way. It's more like uh, something different. Maybe you can comment on that as well. 
Yeah, so I, I think of, of um, you know, these heat maps and, and data school cards that organizations are building as kind of like health indexes, right? They're in the same way that you manage your own health and you, you know, if you're feeling sick, you're taking your temperature or you're having your annual physical, you really, that's not going to tell you your general health, right? You need to be sort of weighing yourself regularly, you know, monitoring what you're eating. And it's got to be something that you're sort of tracking over time that helps you understand, like, how healthy are we as an organization? What's that employee experience like? So pulling together some of that data, like turnover rates, absenteeism, scheduling challenges, safety, productivity, or overtime usage, or, you know, staffing levels, that can help you to understand what is the day-to-day experience of employees, and so you're looking for changes over time, right? Suddenly you've got a lot of people leaving or calling out or you're getting more accidents. That's going to tell you something's changed. This is something you need to look at. It's like looking at your sort of <laughs> tracking your weight over time. Um, and I think that can be very useful. But we found over time the most valuable data that you can have is that employee voice, right? It's listening to what employees are saying to you, um, whether that's through surveys or focus groups or interviews, that's going to give you the real sense of how healthy we are as an organization. And all that other data is sort of your backdrop. It's like in what context, right? People are feeling overworked because of the staffing shortage, right? Um, We don't feel safe because our equipment is old and needs maintenance. So those are the things that you have to give context that employee voice. And so I think they can be really useful. And again, I think the real potential here is for companies to be proactive, right? Give you an early warning sign when when we're not doing well. Um, because in HR, as, as you know, Mike, you have limited resources, right? You maybe have only got a few HR managers and you've got a lot of new leaders who are new in role and you've got limited time and resources. So where do you put that support? Where do you spend your training dollars? Where do you spend time on site? Where do you, um, you know, focus on careers for employees, right? You want to spend the time and energy where it's going to have the most impact. And I think these ways of leveraging data can help you to do that, be more efficient with the resources that you do have. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, like a 180 degree flip question for today as well. Um, you mentioned focus groups and, you know, big surveys and there's pulse. There's like all kinds of different tools you can use. And some companies mm-hmm. use all of them, I presume, mm-hmm. you know, that have that deep resources and, and the ability to have people spend time tracking and managing these things. Um, but, you know, there is such a thing as, a, you know, uh, a fatigue, right? So I guess I'm curious, like, you know, in the past, it was always like an annual well, maybe not always an annual, but largely right. one survey that you did once every year or two, and it was, you know, 25 questions or 50 questions or whatever. Some people collect comments, others don't. Um, what, what's the, what's kind of like the optimal approach in today's world? Is it, is it a, still a big survey or is it something different and more time, timely? So I tend to think about it in a slightly different way, right? I don't, I don't really believe in survey fatigue because everybody always wants to give you their opinion. Um, in some okay. form or another, I, I think more of like action, lack of action fatigue. So you should mm-hmm. be collecting data as quickly as you can act upon it. So, um, you know, for most organizations, I would recommend that once a year is probably not enough because so many things change. If, it, if anything, the last 18 months has shown us, right, is that 
things can change at an alarming pace. We have to make decisions on the fly. So if you're dealing and looking at data that's a year old, it's probably no longer relevant. Do you mm -hmm. need the really large hundreds of questions survey anymore? Probably not. But should you touch in with your employees every few months to kind of take the temperature? Absolutely. And I do think there's tremendous value in things like open-ended comments. We always recommend including those. We also recommend moving beyond the score of employee engagement, because while that gives you sort of an overall measure of commitment or pride, it doesn't really help you to understand that day-to-day -day experience of employees, things like, do I feel heard? You know, do I trust leadership and my manager? Do I feel treated with dignity and respect? Right? Do I feel secure in my role and feel safe and healthy and, you know, my company cares about me? Like, those are things that are sort of, but you can get to those elements in something like, you know, 15 to 20 questions. It doesn't have to take more than five minutes. Um, so I think there's ways of doing it very efficiently on a more regular basis that's going to give you an ongoing temperature check of, of your employee's experience. Um, are there, you know, like Sherm is uh, everything for all, all HR, right? I mean, it, and, it, and that creates, I mean, it's great and it creates issues. Are there resources? I didn't. I didn't set this up ahead of time. But are there mm -hmm. organizations or groups or I don't know, training and development, whatever it might be? Are there places where people who aren't really steeped in this and aren't the you know the data geek that you are? Are, are there places that HR practitioners can go to learn about this stuff that you would recommend? Um, certainly, there's a lot of resources online. Um, I mean, Sherm has some information. You know, we do people analytics training at Spring. Um, there are other organizations that provide people analytics training. Some of the universities have it as part of their programs. Um, you know, there's, there's people analytics meetup groups. Um, there's one in Philadelphia. There's one in Chicago. There's one in San Francisco that are free to attend and, and full of geeky people like me. And we talk and share best practices and invite people who are doing the analysis to the room to talk about what they've done. Um, so I think there's a lot of free resources out there. And then in terms of sort of the, the labor relations, you know, looking at using data for vulnerability, you know, I think organizations like Q that both you and I are members of, um, Mike is a great place to, to understand what employers are doing to build positive employee relations. Um, mm -hmm. you know, that conference is a great resource of best practices around building positive employee experiences. So, you know, I think right. there's lots of sessions that that address that. Yeah, there, and we have had those. Yeah, great. Um, thanks for that. Um, so, so obviously, one of the questions I had was, can companies really predict potential union organizing? And the answer is, I think, kind of. You can mm -hmm. certainly see if you have hot spots by tracking this kind of information and analyzing it and noting where you have low scores or rising scores if it's a negative kind of number, right? That gives you, that gives you a trend indicator or something to keep an eye on. Um, so as people start to build out a scorecard or, you know, kind of try to pull together information, what, what other thoughts are, are they, should they be thinking about um, to, to solve business problems with data? Like what, what other steps might they take here, Fiona? Um, so, 
you know, just in response to that, I think you, I don't know that you would truly predict where a union is going to, to target, for example, but I right. do think you can right. measure the susceptibility to the messaging, right? So how vulnerable are we? And I think things like looking at your employee engagement survey data, um, tracking some of those metrics we've already talked about, like voice, trust, respect, security, um, turnover rates accident rates, you know, ethics point calls, I think are all good indicators. Um, and I think you start small, right? You pull some data together and look for patterns and insights of where in your organization are you not doing well and where are you doing really well? Um, and I think that's usually pretty easy to do with data that already exists. You don't have to go out and collect more information. Most often mm-hmm. when, when we get a call, we'll say, well, let's take a look at what you already have. And sometimes it's a case of just reanalyzing existing data to say, you know, this is where we're vulnerable, this is where we can do better, and, and this is where our best practices lie. And then making sure right. that your HR business partners understand how to leverage that information, right? How to align resources to where there's opportunities for improvement. And, and I would I would I would add this I think um, like from a practitioner point of view I would say okay so like if you have your even if it's just your annual survey and you have you know some threshold that you consider to be a satisfactory number I don't know 60% satisfaction overall satisfaction score or whatever if you have any spots below that number you know you might want to make note of those and then maybe mm-hmm. do a little deeper dive so you know to your point look at some of the turnover. If there's comments available, look at what they're saying about local management. You know, mm-hmm. are they are are there issues coming up? Especially referencing the kind of things you were talking about in your three biggest drivers. You know, are are is there a lot? Are people complaining because they're not recognized or that they're undervalued? Like, look for these symptoms, right? And if you see those, like if you see these scores saying, look, this is you know, things aren't perfect here. This isn't you know, Wonderland. And 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 then as an HR business partner. Um, you know, you can say, and it looks to me as if maybe it's a manager problem because, you know, lack of recognition or lack of accountability or they don't discipline people, whatever, whatever it may be, you can probably identify at a, at a, at a pretty low level um, what, what's dry, not only what's making the score low, but like what you need to do to leverage to fix it, right? You can, you can, you may be able to piece together both the problem and in some cases the potential solution with action, yeah. And, 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 and it gets you in it gets you in there early, right? And it allows you to deal with it, you know, before anything goes really badly. Exactly. And your biggest resource for solutions of how to fix it is your employees. And yep. you know what's interesting what we've learned in the last year through the pandemic is there's some additional things that are showing up as areas of weakness. That's this perception of inclusion, work distribution, communications, and flexibility. Those are things that have risen in the last year as being more and more important to employees. They want you to be really transparent with them now. What's happening? What's going on? What changes are coming down the pipeline? Um, we, we need more staff. How is the work that we do have today distributed among us, and is it distributed fairly? Do I feel I can bring my whole self to work? Do I feel included in communications and decisions about my job? And then do I have the flexibility that, by the way, I've learned to enjoy? Um, and can I maintain that as, as people start to, you know, transition to sort of new ways of working? Um, and those are sort of ways in which employers can demonstrate that they care if they're listening to these issues. So 
So, so things have changed, right, in the pandemic. Some of the things have become mm-hmm. more important to employees as a function of the, the work environment changing. Yeah, I've been doing some, uh, you know, employee relations update training, done, I don't know, almost a dozen sessions over the last month or so. And it seems like I say like a hundred times in the hour and a half of this session, uh, the pandemic has changed everything. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like at the, all the, all the rules um, are kind of broken. Listen, we have about two and a half minutes left. So I want to, I want to give you a chance to, to tell people where they can catch up with you if they want to, but I have one quick question. If you have a, you know, a long history of doing surveys and the, the pandemic has occurred, what has it changed from the data, like correlations? Is that, are they still valid or are we, are we looking at like a, having to level set everything going forward from last year? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, you need to make sure you're still asking the right questions, questions that are relevant today given the pandemic and everything that's changed. Two, we saw mm-hmm. an immediate increase in engagement during sort of the first six months into the pandemic. We saw engagement rates go up. Um, I think it's because companies were being more transparent. They were communicating. They felt taken care of. Companies were going above and beyond to take care of people, and they liked that. There was one group whose engagement dropped, and that was your frontline managers. Those were ones that were really getting slammed during the pandemic. There was all this stuff coming down to them that they were responsible for communicating, and they're dealing with the grief and the issues and everything that employees are handling on a day-to-day. So frontline managers is the group that has been really hard hit in the pandemic. So I would recommend to your listeners, mm-hmm. like, that's the group you need to be taking care of, helping them support their people. Um, so that's definitely something to think of. And then, you know, what we're seeing now is making sure you're changing some of your questions moving forward um, because we are seeing a drop of engagement now. People are worn out. They are burnt out. They are tired mm. <laughs> making all these decisions. And so while we saw an increase last year, we have seen engagement scores dropping in 2021. And I think if we don't demonstrate this care and this listening and empathy, I think in terms of the new leadership behaviors around empathy, catching people doing good, um, you know, recognizing our employees, being able to manage change and be transparent in your communications, those are things that leaders need to be doing. Um, and yeah. around self-management, too, right? How do you manage yourself in terms of mm-hmm. dealing with this? Like taking time, self-care is so important now for managers and employees. You know, it's it's hard. It, it's definitely hard for every individual for di- different reasons, but everyone mm-hmm. suffers equally, and it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Listen, we were good. Our our live broadcast is going to end, but we still have you know still time. So I'm gonna first of all, I want to thank you for coming on. Very interesting conversation. Always great to catch up with you. So thanks for doing drive through with me today. And so with that, I'd just like you to tell people uh, where they if they if they listen and they'd like to reach out and get in touch with you or find out more about Spring. How do they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been wonderful talking to you, Mike. Um, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I would go to springitl.com and learn more about Spring and the work that we do. And uh, I'd be happy to, to connect with people and get geeky and help them with their people analytics. Awesome. Have uh, have a good Thanksgiving. I know we'll be talking because we have some yeah. project stuff that we're working on outside of this, but I'll, I'll be, we'll be talking. But have a good Thanksgiving and. I will talk to you again next few weeks. Okay, thanks, Fiona. Have a good afternoon. Thanks, Mike. You too. Bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.